your one-liners, I'm going to have it as my ringtone for motivation. <laughs> Get up, Jax. <laughs> On today's show, we're exploring the legend of boxing promoter Barry Hearn, the lessons behind his global empire and the business behind sport in 2021. Barry Hearn is a legendary and revolutionary sports promoter. He's the mastermind behind some of the biggest boxing events in history and the popularity of World Darts and the World Snooker Championship. His empire, Matchroom Sports, represents some of the biggest athletes in some of the biggest sports on the planet. A self-made millionaire from a council estate in East London, Barry says the key to his success is simple, relentless hard work. As he retires, we reflect on the successes of a 50-year career with the king of sport. I'm not going to lie, mate. I'm a bit intimidated about Barry Hearn. Why's that? He just seems like one of those big character, like figurehead businessmen, larger than life. I just, You know, like, he feels like the kind of guy you're going to have a chat with him and he's just going to be snarky remark after snarky remark and you're just going to walk away feeling, well, I'm a lot less masculine than that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think look, he's a grifter, right? He's a he, you know, he's a street trader. What do you mean by a grifter? Well, like like you know, the grifting mentality, like it's like, how do I make a dollar? A dealer, a wheeler dealer, right? In the old days, there was a TV program called Minder. There was a character called Arthur Daly, and he was a you know a wheeler dealer. I think this guy is that. He's got a great reputation. He's built an amazing empire. Well, he sounds like he it. cares about the athletes as well. Oh, super! But yeah. but 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 the guy. You know, he's got a big personality, you know, knows how to throw a punch and whatever. So he, you know, he may he may cut us down. So it all comes back to, uh, you know, what's his real sentiment and how does he feel about the show? But I think we're going to have a great show because I think he's very interesting and very insightful. And I love boxing. And all I really want to know right now is whether I had a chance to be a boxer. It, it, is that, did you really want to box? I, at one point in my life, I wanted to box. Yeah. I've boxed once at a white collar gym. And I've got a decent little punch on me. But mm. the worst thing about boxing is why I give, uh, as if you're actually boxing, that I give boxers so much respect is as you get fatigued and you see the punches come in, but because you're so tired, you can't move. Mm. And then just imagine doing that in front of thousands, millions of people. Oh, yeah. And then there's nothing more <laughs> embarrassing about just getting punched in the face and you're so tired. And then you try to punch and it's just limp. It, just, oh, yeah. it reminds you of a reoccurring dream I keep having. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's not happening now, Barry, because of contract issues. But let's assume that it eventually happens. Tyson Fury yeah. versus AJ. I think Eddie said he thought he could do him in nine. What do you think? You have a, you have an honest prediction of what you think could happen? Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm... When I talk, when I talk, I just give you an honest appraisal. You know, I think Tyson Fury is a very difficult fighter with his head movement. I don't think he he has much power for the, for a man of his size. Uh, I think if Joshua fights his own fight without getting brought into the Tyson Fury antics, I think Joshua Joshua knocks him out pretty straightforward whenever he hits him. And I guess that's I I think it's earlier than nine. Um, because I think Joshua has the power to take people out. Although, you know, you know, Tyson Fury, he's a great fighter. Don't let's not knock it. You know, this is a this is an interesting clash of styles. But I think Joshua's power will prevail four or five rounds. Do oh, you well. have to say that because you're his promoter? I have to don't have to say anything, son. I just say what's the truth. You know, <laughs> with me, I'm too old yeah, to yeah, tell yeah. lies. 
you know, because you can't, when you're old, you can't remember the lies. So you, you, you get yourself in trouble. So you have <laughs> yeah. to tell the truth. You said, uh, I was listening to an interview that you did where you said um, sometimes your relationship changes with the fighters when they lose. And did it change with Joshua at all after the Andy Ruiz fight? Interestingly, not at all, which was amazing. Uh, I mean, normally, you know, everyone's human. When, when you lose a fight, especially if you're undefeated, you're looking for someone to blame or, you know, it's not your fault. This is a this is a very strange guy, Anthony Joshua. What you see is, you know, good-looking guy, very articulate, great fighter. But behind that, there's an enormous amount of character in him which I find very interesting, you know, because when you're in the trenches, you've got to look beyond just what you see. In You have to look into heart, in the soul, you know, and that's mm, when you find yeah. out what, and who you're actually dealing with. And Joshua, after his, he put his hands up and just said, I wasn't good enough. You know, I got caught. I, I don't know what happened. I've got to go back to the drawing board and work. He's an exceptional character, not just an exceptional fighter. That's all I told you. And for that reason, he looks at Tyson Fury and worked out a way because he knows his strengths and he knows his weaknesses. He said to me the other day, that Tyson Fury is hilarious. He said, he is a character. He's so entertaining. For sure. He said, I'm not, I, he said, I can't compete. I can't compete with that. He just does things that I wouldn't do and says things I wouldn't say. So I'm just going to concentrate on letting him be the entertainer and then I'm going to close the show. That's cool. And I think, do you know what? I think from a product marketing perspective, it, it probably will work really well. Everyone needs a protagonist and a defendant. And Fury walks around like he's, he's, he's his own boxing promoter, right? He does all his own conversations, revs everyone. He's, he's like a white Ali. So it doesn't require, it doesn't, it doesn't require, a, it doesn't require Joshua to do anything. You know, the mystique builds with Joshua because he says less. All common wise, you know, you, you, you go through all the great, Comedy actors, comedy duos of all time. Usually one was a straight man and one was the one that delivered the killer line, you know? That's how, yeah. and this is, this yeah. is entertainment. And Tyson Fury is a, is a fantastic entertainer. You know, he is amazing. But when, when someone's that good, you know, entertaining, don't compete with him on that level because he'll kill you. You know, he has the words, yeah. he has the charisma, sure. he has the humour. So don't compete because you're going to get, you're going to get murdered, aren't you? You're going to get verbally murdered. So what we do is we say, yes, but when all that stops, when the bell goes in the loneliest part of the world, before cornered ring, there's no more entertainment other than two men finding out who's the best. Do you ever wish that Tyson was on your books? I'm sure he will eventually. You know, they all come to the end till they come <laughs> to the great. To be honest with you, Jax, and it's a, it's a conversation I've never had, Jax, but I'll tell you this, if I was a fighter, you know, and I'm just being independent. Who would I, who would I want to be? Seriously, would I want to be with the best in the world, or would I want to be someone who just gets by? And we, we all want to be with the best. We want to be with us. People want to work for different sport. They know we're the best at what we do in different sports, and and people have dreams. You know, if, if I was if I was in anything, you know, I, I want to play with the best. I want to live with the best. I want to I want to marvel at their at their skills. I want to. I want to learn, you know, and and that's why I don't think there's a fighter in the world in his inner psyche that doesn't say to himself, I wish I was with Eddie. I mean, I'm getting on okay, I'm getting a living, I'm doing all right, 
But there's that little bit of magic. You know, you look at the Canelo Alvarez fight. Now, there's a good example. Canelo is one of the great, great fighters of all time, without a doubt. Absolutely tough to work out how you could ever beat him. He's right. a great fighter. He's been there for a long time. He's been managed by Oscar De La Hoya. He's had all that. And suddenly he sees, and which he can't believe, by the way, and this is a very intelligent boy, suddenly he's part of this unbelievable journey with Eddie, with crowds that he's never seen, with entrances he's never seen, with respect, respect he's never seen. And he turns around and goes, why have I been doing all my career? Why haven't I had this from day one? And that goes down if you're a six-rounder or four-rounder, you just turn pro. What's your dream? What's your dream? Of course, you want to be a champion. But there's a bigger dream. I want to be with Matra. I want to be one of their stars. Because I know they get a load of money. I know they get the fame and fortune. They get the exposure. They're treated with enormous respect because of what they do. It's the greatest place on earth, man. Uh, do you think, like, do you feel like after where Matchroom gets so big, do you think that that quality of service isn't going to be the same for every fighter the more you take on? Jags, 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 Jags. You're not, in the words of Muhammad Ali, you're not as dumb as you look, right? <laughs> that is a great question. That is a great, great Thank question. Thank you, mate. And it's something Can that- Can I work for have, Matchroom? You're getting close, Jags. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that you don't, you, know, you have to actually work on that. When you get big, sometimes you forget where you come from. Sometimes you forget the people that help you to get there. And that's something you've got to work on all the time so it doesn't happen because it's a sin. So you're right. We have to have the same level of enthusiasm for a four-rounder who's just joined as a world champion. Mm. And that, that that's uh, that's a that's a statement of who we are, where we come from, and how we run our business. And it is a problem as you get bigger because you can only you've only got twenty four hours in the day, and you get fighters say, "Oh, you know, you know." I mean, Billy Joe Saunders said before the Canelo fight, "Oh, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie spends more time with Canelo than he does with me." This is it's it is a problem, but you have to try and balance it and be fair, uh, and everyone has to understand. This is, a, this is a tough little balancing act to have. But as you get bigger, you you mustn't lose the reason you got big in the first place. I'm sure Martin's got a question after that because that talks a, a little bit about how you're building a business, isn't it? Oh, I've got lots of questions. I mean, but I think one of them in particular is that in figure-ed businesses, like what you did, Barry, and now what Ed is doing, it's like the great businesses have the spearheads that, that can go and talk and say, look, right now, I've got to go on TV or I'm going to go and do this podcast or right now we're going to break this press announcement. And then boom, they go on to Canelo. They're not to Joshua. They're not to someone else and whatever. But it's that machine underneath that has to drive the program and the promotion where it doesn't require the, the management to, to be doing it, right? Because you can only whip people so fast. It comes back to the efficiency of the model and what you want to get out of, 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 of the people. And then that gets even more complex when you add calendar dates and you start to say, I'm in fishing, bowling, you know, cricket, whatever, you know, you're a snooker, you're in so many different things. And then another problem is you become the Man City. Like you go and put on a Superdome bloody payday that's in the hundreds of millions, which is obviously a, a feather in the cap for Matchroom, for Eddie, uh, for Joshua, for, for you, for bringing him along. And then you got to say you got someone you're. you're tr how do you then say? Well, don't worry, 
we're going to bring in three new guys. You're starting right from the beginning. You're at the bottom of the pyramid. <laughs> They're a million miles from getting a $200 million, you know, payday. Uh, it's, it, it's a complex piece. There's a lot to, there's a lot to consider. It's, a pro- you know, it's not a problem. It, it's, an evil, it's, an evil, mind, it's an evolution, right? And, and it does come down to yes. the people, the guy holding the tiller at the back of the ship, you know. Uh, yeah. When you're, when yeah, you're sure. small, like, like Jack says, it, it's not a problem being in control and having your own uh, personality. You're actually promoting your own personality. I think for 20 years I never listened to anybody. For 20 years I wasn't big enough that I needed to. I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, I just did it and did what I had to do to get the job done. As the business develops, so do the people and so do your own your own role. And you have to be a big enough person to look in the mirror a lot and say, I'm not really good at that, so this person's better. And you mustn't have the ego that says you you are the know-all of, you know, you're the font of all knowledge. So it's about building teams. And this is why it took me a few years to, dis- I mean, I'm 73 in, in June. It took me a few years to think about my own personal evolution. And, and that was easier because I built mm. people, young people from within my world that had come up through the ranks that not only knew my personal ethos about what the, my values are in life, but added their own individual piece of stardust to it as well. And you have to identify those, yeah. you have to back them. Uh, you have to, you know, it's a bit like having an extended family. You, you, you may not may have adopted a few children as well as had a few children, but they all become your children, you know. And then you get to the stage where in today's changing world, well, life gets more complicated. You know, when when Sky launched in, in, in 1990 was a massive change in my life, but the changes through digital applications now from Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, wherever, they're massive and a younger brain does pick on those much better than someone who's, who can be stuck. My own personal evolution is is now not at the speed that it needs to be to run this monster of a business. So I have to trust people. I do, you know, we historically have never really bought in senior management, Martin. We've always grown them from mm. early doors so they understand the rules. And the rules are easy. Good bet. You know, there's yeah. no, it, it, this is a seven-day job. It's 24 hours a day. You have to keep your heart and soul to it. If you're not prepared to sacrifice, please, that's, that's okay. You'll have a decent job, but you'll never be a superstar. There's a price to pay, and it mm. takes time to find those people, and I've found them, and I've, I've got the best units I've seen, and I've got, fortunately, mm. a young man who grew up at my feet, understood, had passion, Understood the, the the law of telling the truth, be straight. Don't let anyone take liberties with you, but at the same time, don't look for aggravation. Just get the job done to the best. Be the best you can be. It's the only message because I'm no genius. Be the best you can be, and generally that's good enough. But as business gets bigger, as Jack said, it, it gets more complicated. We're up to 650, probably 700 event days next year. We're operating all over the world. Jeez. We're producing amazing shows. And yet every day we're thinking, what's next? What else? How can I be better? So, you know, that is a, that is an evolutionary problem, which is only solved by, by great management. Yeah, 
Yeah. Aside from like the work ethic and commitment that you bring and you talk about, you know, the seven day work week and I know myself about the sacrifices you have to make and so does Martin. What other skills would you say were important that you brought to the sports promotion business? I, I always like razzmatazz. I'm, listen, I always wanted to be heavyweight champion of the world. Then I found out I couldn't really fight that good. So, you know, that was another career path blocked. And after a while, you know, because I <laughs> love sport, all, all competitive sport, uh, it evolved into me being, you know, when Anthony Joshua first signed for us, you know, quite a suspicious young man because he's quite intelligent. And at the end of our discussions, he just won the Olympics. And he said, he looked at me and he said, what do you really want out of me? What, what do I mean to you? You've got, nice. you know, he's smart. He said, you've got everything. You, you've got all the money. What do you really want from me? And I said, Anthony, I want 1% of your adrenaline. That's my life. 1% of your adrenaline. Right? <laughs> That's a good when answer. When you walk into the ring at yeah. Madison Square Gardens, Wembley, you know, I said, the buzz I get, I can't buy, I can buy anything I like. You know, I've been successful, but I can't buy adrenaline. That has to come from within. And that's what I get every day. I get every day for my business, whether, you know, I've got the World Cup of Paul going on at the moment, you know, I'm glued to it. I, I can't wait for Fishermania in July. Oh, and in between, maybe we'll 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 see some great fights from Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury. You don't you don't have levels, it does, and it's not monetary related. It's adrenaline related. You know that's that's the key issue. Yeah, yeah, that's the thrill. Yeah, what's what's right? I ask myself, what's right? Uh, early doors, I didn't. You know, early doors, I, I I wanted to make a living. I didn't ask what's right. And sometimes, but I do now. You know. Moving on to your um, like the fifty years in the business and the way you've diversified and and you can answer this personally or, 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 or on behalf of Matchroom, it all comes back to you. What what were the really big highlights for your your career in terms of uh, any of the sports? What kind of really stands out? I've always been a lucky face. I think that's the that's the real you know things have happened. And I, I mean, I'm fairly you know the, I'm Christian based. So I do believe in greater movement out there. Fate yep. is, is a big part. Yeah. I've been smart. I've been smart sure. on, you know, when, you know, my mum my told me to be a chartered accountant and, and no one disagreed with my mum. So I did. That was it. Work hard. <laughs> so I did. Uh, and, you know, yeah. And I think women are the only things that really, most, women are the only things that frighten me in my life. My mum and my wife are the two most frightening people I've ever met. And I've met a few people. <laughs> So it, it's just it's just hilarious looking back on it. When you what, what's interesting was you know the birth of Sky in 1990 was was a fundamental changing point. I was a sports promoter with very little airtime, and suddenly this guy came along and changed my life. I mean, go back before that, 81, when you know when Steve Davis won his first world championship was a, was a life changing moment. I suddenly had. You know, not just a mouth, but I could back it up with talent. You know, I had the best player in the world. Yeah. So that that was yep. fundamental. Uh, and these changes they, they go on all the time. You know, small and big. You know, when you you actually look back and say, why did I do that? You know, when, when Lennox Lewis was fighting, uh, I think it was Andrew Pilatre in Atlantic City. Uh, the fight ended early, and I went in the casino and saw a queue, and they were playing poker, and I'd never played poker. I joined the queue. Um, I thought this is a good game. This should do well on television. You know, went went back to Sky, and and the next thing you know, I'm the biggest poker producer and promoter in the world, and made a shed load of money. But I think I've just always been shy. I, 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 touch wood, I've always been 
smiled on from upstairs and uh, he'll tell me when I've had my time and I'll accept that. But in the meantime, I'm having a frigging ball, mate. I'm having a ball. You know, it just things seem to work out. I don't know whether the good guys sometimes do win in those <laughs> Westerns, don't they? But you started out by owning fruit machines and jukeboxes across East London, right? It was, it was one of the businesses I did. I mean, I, I was a totally legitimate chartered accountant. I built up a little private practice. I worked for one of the big accountancy firms. I think I was their youngest ever manager. But in those days, where, where I came from, Jax, you, you, you didn't – the world's been full of prejudices for many years. This is nothing new, you know. Yeah. And one of the prejudices yep. when I was growing up was because I didn't speak particularly well. I didn't go to university. My dad didn't. My dad was a bus driver. He didn't have any money. My mum cleaned houses. Mm -hmm. So it was tough to get on that ladder as it is today for other people in different environments. Nothing new. Eventually we get it right, hopefully. Um, But then there'll be another Mm -hmm. problem coming up, you know. I don't know when we're going to say anyone anyone who's left-handed is a poorer citizen, you know. The whole thing is ridiculous because it doesn't you know, common sense tells you we're all the same. So but in those days, it, it was a struggle to come out and uh, I got my chance and, and I, you know, I took it and I took it in a very aggressive manner. You know, it's just down to hard work. Just treat, as I say, just treat everybody the same. And let's, let's, let's make ability the only criteria for success. You know, ability, sacrifice, you know. How did you, how did you like... Um... Is that even in boxing? I'm surprised to hear that you're saying the way you spoke was something that you felt wasn't an asset at the time. And when even speaking to you now, you're such a big character and obviously clearly someone that's still in touch with where they came from. Like, uh, was that such a big issue even in boxing? And then how did you traverse that? Did you feel like you had to change it? No, no, boxing wasn't a problem. I'm talking about when I first died and I wanted to be an accountant. It was another world from where I came from. When I went back, when oh, I went yeah. back into working class, where I'm, where I'm most comfortable, where I'm, I'm, I'm working class, you know, I'm, I'm going to be anything different. But I feel comfortable amongst boxers against darts players because they're me, aren't they? So what I did was in take, take a step back and say, I want to be involved. So what do I bring to the table? Well, I bring creativity to the table. I bring, you know, the ability to make sure that we are, I'm the best at monetarising sport, I think, Um but I also believe in sharing that monetization. I don't believe in just keeping it to myself because you don't grow anything. So I went more on to entertainment values and how I can make these people characters, how you can identify, how people can associate with them and, and make everybody part of this soap opera of sport. You know, Tyson Fury is a great example of you know, the villain, if you like, the villain of the piece. And Steve Davis was the boring one that always won. But they had a character and people could associate with it and that made it more showbiz. And then you add in the walk-ons and the music yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that and create an adventure when you buy a ticket. I'm interested, Barry, uh, what get, goes into... Well, two questions. What What's common about sports promotion as it relates to different sports? Like, do you have to change the hype machine the process, you know, the build-up, um, the way you negotiate, the, all these different elements that you have to pull together. And and, and and perhaps the great example, I think, what, 20 years later, you got into boxing. I know you were a fanatic, but, um, you, know, how is, you know, how is boxing different to, say, cricket or, or, or snooker? Um, and what, what does putting, you know, what, what goes into a decision for you to walk into a whole different market and say, I'm going to promote this sport, I'm going to find talent, and I'm going to market it's it. It's a good question. 
Yeah, it is. I, I mean, yeah, it, it's a complicated question as well because every market's different, every sport's different in the same way as every individual's different. And you have to have the ability yeah. to think on your feet and you have to have the ability to be creative in different environments, you know. So it's a bit like an analysis. People don't realise that the work that goes in behind the scenes before you come out and say, I've had this great idea, you know. Uh, I remember walking into the Circus Tavern Darts final uh, as a guest and someone said, what do you think of it? And, and, you know, it was seedy, it was people having a beer, having a bet. And I went, I can smell the money. I have this ability to go into environments, uh, and it works both ways, <laughs> but I have this ability to, to go into an environment and see commercialisation that other people haven't seen, uh, and that's made me fairly unique. Uh, and there are times I go into an environment and I say, not for me, because... If I don't like, if I don't have a passion for the sport in my life, you can imagine, you know, seventy-three or you know, getting old, got enough money. Why would you do any job just to make a few more quid? The answer is no, because the biggest asset we've got is time. So when when I look at different sports, I mean, I'm not a motor, I'm not a motorsport fan, for example. It doesn't mean to say that they're not brilliant athletes, that they're not sensationally brave people, it just don't turn me on. So if it don't turn me on, I ain't going anywhere near it. And, you know, and, and people yeah. have said to me, well, you can do this and this and this and make millions of pounds doing that. And I said, yeah, I know. But I'd probably rather go fishing, you know, and, and what I'm going to do is be honest with myself as well as other people. There is a changing philosophy at every level on the technical side, Martin, when you negotiate, when you evaluate, when you exploit, there are different rules that apply to different sports and different people, and you have to be on top of that to make sure you can adjust your technique, because it is a technique for negotiation, commercialization, and expansion. But it all revolves around selling the dream. Whether you're selling the dream to the athlete, the talent, whether you're selling the dream to a sponsor, to a television company, but most important, are you selling the dream to the punter? You know, because we found out during COVID, take away live crowds, we lose atmosphere. You can create as much artificial noise as you like. It's not the same. And when you turn up the ramp, that's when people get value for money. Now, the principle of all business is the old Rockefeller saying that everyone has to end up with a piece of bread in their mouth following negotiations. The key to all business is thinking poor and giving people value for money. Mm. And in, included in that conversation, by the way, is me. I, you know, I, I don't need to make money, but I love making money. Why is that? Because I'm playing a game, I'm playing a sport, the same. I'm playing to win. It doesn't matter anything else. If I'm not playing to win, it's not competitive, I'm out because it's yeah. not fun. So change your tactics at every level, evaluate and be honest with yourself and be prepared to walk away. I love that. It, it, here's a good one for you, Barry. Right, and Another way of looking at it is because I'm fascinated. Obviously, I've built a few businesses in my time and scaled them up and sold them and done all this stuff. And, and I know how brutal that process can be. And I look at what you've done 
with with Matchroom in an area where it's full of personalities. Like it's just it just seems to me to be a very difficult business. And I guess I keep coming back to what the fuck is standard in this? Like what's the standard? Yeah. Like how do you, how did you maintain and grow so big? And so the question I'd come back to for you is that if you had to have one thing other than negotiation, because you're clearly gifted at, at, at assessing people and, and finding out what their motivation is, but is there one thing? Um, that that's common across these 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 platforms that you had to get right in order to get Matrim to grow because it feels to me like you know it's like a pack of cards one bad deal and it could have ruined your opportunities in snooker or in boxing uh, but in fact you've gone from strength to strength and just added more sports industries. I think the, the key for us has always been on the technical basis. The key has always been ownership. There are certain sports you can own. There's other sports you can be a major player in, but you. You, you never own them. So you right. never own boxing. But you can be a major, major player. And Eddie's, Eddie will get as close to anyone could get as in ownership in boxing over the next few years. I know he's got plans already. I think Matchroom Mexico starts in a few weeks' time. Matchroom Australia's coming. Matchroom Scandinavia. But you can't control it because there'll always be some kid turning up in Peru who can fight. There'll be someone who wants to be a, a boxing promoter. That's okay. It's like saying, you know, there'll always be a, a Tesco's, but there's going to be shops on the corner for some local services. That's all right. There's different levels. Yeah. Other sports you can own, and my key objective has always been to own the sport. So things like snooker and darts, for example, where I own the sport, gives me the opportunity to plan properly in the long term without individual selfish appraisal, i.e. players generally, who, who really will run a business for what suits them. I run a business for what suits the sport or the business in the knowledge that my own business must be profitable for it to be sustainable. In other words, you know, during COVID, look what we've done during COVID. It's been unbelievable. We've done more events during COVID than we did in the normal year. Yeah. Simply because we had the reserves, we had the enthusiasm, and we also had the passion to provide work for people that were self-employed. It's a question of the old-fashioned technique of, we owe them, they owe us, you know, and somehow we're going to get there together. It's quite refreshing, you know, and uh, COVID has taught us a lot and our businesses and our attitude will change. The key principle, if you really want to exploit properly, is you have to have ownership, which is why agents don't work. Agents are short-term fixes, you know, they get a percentage, but they're off, you know. You you hit the nail on the head, Mike. You've done businesses yourself, but you've, you've spun them off and you've sold them and you've done things. See, we don't. We're here, and we're here for fucking ever. <laughs> and God help anyone who comes across us, because we are relentless. We are relentless <laughs> in making sure that we will do the job we can do the best, and we will provide and we will grow because we're doing it for the right reasons. Along the way, we'll also make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. But that, you know, making money is not difficult. It's what you do with it. And it's how you get there is what matters. I think we'll get there the right way. And, and you know, certain sports, not, not all of them, will, will benefit from it and we will change people's lives by doing it like that. And that's what motivates us. Talking about uh, doing what's right for a sport, what was your reaction to the news of the European Super League and obviously the questions that were raised about the actions of like wealthy football club owners? I know you will have some opinions about that. Unbelievable. <laughs> It's shocking, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, I would be so embarrassed. I would be so embarrassed if I was part of that European Super League to get it so far out of reality. That's hysterical. They, uh, 
they must be sitting in a toilet somewhere saying, I don't want to go outside. It's schoolboy <laughs> amateurism. Absolutely. They never thought it through. They just saw money. Yeah. They saw greed. Money, money, money. We used to say, I mean, I had late, late Norton for 19 years, right? It, yeah. They used to say the chairman leaves his brain in, his brain in the car park. These, these guys had no brain. Had no brain. He's hilarious. They're billionaires. We think they're smart. Numpties. Absolute numpties. How can they get it so wrong? They didn't understand the basic rule of business. And they're all smart people. Yeah. The basic rule of business is understand your customer. Understand your customer. And they didn't understand. It, it, it can take some time. You never own a football club. You become a custodian of that football club. And unless you take that principle at heart, you'll never make the right decisions. And these guys from their ivory towers looking at a few billions to yeah. add to their billions, they just missed the plot. And by doing so, they've made themselves look ridiculous. Well, it, uh, funny, it's funny, really, because I think that ultimately history will just probably gloss over this piece of shit that was going on. But, but, but it's interesting. You're right. They didn't understand their customer, but they didn't understand the competitor threats either. Right? I mean, you've got an association. You've got grassroots football. They just went, fuck oh. it all. <laughs> they didn't think about it. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's unreal that yeah. you would think the managing director yeah. of Chelsea and all these clubs would have better sense to advise the owners. Yeah, yeah. Than to let them. It's, oh, it's just pure yeah. blind greed, you know? I can understand it from the owner's perspective to an extent. Listen, I bought business. I don't give a shit about it. I just want to make as much money. I understand that. Right. Okay, like it or not. But the actual management, not to stand up and say, but this boss, this is a disaster. And by the way, this, this, this won't work, but it also may have major repercussions. Because what it's done, it's alerted the proletariat to the risk and damage available by the, the, the king of the castles, if you like, the, you know, the Premier League owners. This will probably bring in government intervention, legal intervention, to make sure it doesn't happen again. And, I, uh, and this is something the Premier League have never wanted. They've never wanted a, an, an ombudsman or something like that, government intervention. They may get it now because everyone's gone, hang on a second. We thought these guys were going to be good for the game. Actually, they're disastrous for the game. We can't give them this much power over our national sport. Uh, and, and it may have repercussions in that manner, which, which we'll have long-term. At the moment, they're all backpedaling, aren't they? Oh, we're ever so sorry we got it wrong. Let's give you, some, let's give you a, a year off season ticket increases. But no, the damage has been done now because people have seen these people for what they really are, yeah. which is it's okay. I'm not knocking them for that. All I'm saying is it doesn't fit into the psyche of what is – football is beyond a sport. It's a national occupation. It's a national yeah. <laughs> involvement. You know, it breaks the boundaries. So you, you've got to listen. Sure. And, and the fans this time and, and the authorities and the government suddenly went, oh, are they that type of people? Well, in that case, we'll have to do something to make sure it doesn't happen again. And that will be the long-term damage for what was one of the most stupid, reckless – unbelievably inefficient, chaotic plans I could ever see in my life. Embarrassing. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with Jumping you. back into boxing and talking of, I would consider this controversial, where you're moving towards like celebrity bounce, like KSI versus Logan Paul, or later this year you've got Eddie Hall taking on four former two world's strongest men. 
Yeah. Is that good for boxing? Or is it a business opportunity? It's a, it's a business opportunity without doubt. It's only happening because of the money. But in a way, if it brings more people into some form of sports following or pugilistic entertainment, uh, I, I when, when Eddie did Logan Paul and KSI, I was like, what are we doing this for? You know. Now, it makes a load of money, by the way. That's okay. Mm. And KSI Logan Paul make a load of money and people bought tickets, enjoyed it. But what I'm saying is we mustn't sit on an ivory tower and be the anoraks of all anorak sports. We must watch the world evolve uh, commercially and physically. And, and we must watch sports evolve in the same way. And if it means, look, if, if they did these shows and no one bought them on pay-per-view or no one turned up and bought a ticket, the shows wouldn't happen. So therefore, there's a demand. Where there's a demand, we come back to the football argument, you have to listen to your target market and you have to act accordingly. I believe if it's handled properly, you know, I wouldn't want to see it on every week because I think it's boring, but the, it actually can, in the same way as UFC has grown at the expense of boxing because they, they listen to their target market. They listen to what the kids wanted. They put it on. This is another sure. example you mustn't ignore, you must learn from, and that means that when you come to professional boxing, let's make sure there's no mismatches. Let's make sure that their big fights happen. Because then you're fulfilling the demands of your target market in the same way as these other people are, and everyone's a winner. It's interesting when you talk about listening to, you know, listening to the world and not being an anorak. The fact is, you have to listen to survive as well as grow, right? Because what you want is when the Logan Pauls turn up and all the rest of it cares, you want to say, fuck me, that's a spectacle entertainment. It's this kind of thing, and it's got this kind of customer. And you know what? We're going to make sure that doesn't dilute traditional mainstream boxing that's a very different thing and you want both right you want to, if there's an audience and a market you want both but what you don't want to do is cannibalize you know the opportunity and have this you know have this different thing and i think ufc has done an incredible job of of creating a different market for something that people clearly have got a th- i mean it's not i'm a boxing guy i still watch a bit of ufc but i'm always going to be a boxing guy my question to you barry is that has it diluted boxing? Obviously, it stole some attention, but it is a different market. And have you thought about getting into it? Obviously, it's dominated by some key characters, but you you must have considered it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think Eddie's talked to Dana White quite a lot about it. Um, I think the two of them are two sort of monsters in there, gorillas in the room, aren't they, those two? And uh, you can imagine Dana White thinking, right. I don't want him in UFC. And Eddie's thinking, I don't want Dana White in boxing. So, yeah, you never know. I just think you mustn't set. The the world is such a strange place and things change so fast. You mustn't set anything in in, in tight principles. You have to be prepared for the unexpected. You know, you have to expect the unexpected. Sure, sure. So, I mean, if if you talk about UFC, when it first started, you know, the traditional boxing fans were dismissive. But... The guys in charge of boxing didn't recognise there was a new audience that was going to relate to that. Similarly, now with you know with these celebrity fights, there is an audience for it, so you can't knock it. You you can't you can't yep. criticise it because it's it's obviously it's been spoken to with demand. I'm an anorak as well, by the way. I'm an old traditionalist and I'm getting better at it. But I didn't like <laughs> particularly women's boxing. You know, I looked at women's boxing and thought, no, I don't. I, I really couldn't do this. 
I, I actually staged a few women's fights 10 or 12 years ago in, in Poland and places like that. And they were well received. What Eddie's done with women's boxing is all of a sudden, they're massive superstars, aren't they? So who's right and who's wrong? People lie. Numbers don't lie. If the ratings are good, if the sponsor demand's good, if the ticket sales are good, it means there's a demand there and you have to embrace it. You either embrace it or you get out. And if you want to stick in the, in the mud and be one of those old-fashioned, oh, this is the way my dad and my granddad did it, then you will go out of business eventually and actually, to be honest, as quick as possible, please. Because we need creativity, we need innovation. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, you've got to move with the times. You've got to move. When you think about boxing overall, um, you know, I'm so romantic about the Muhammad Ali days and some of the great fights, and we've seen some big things in boxing. How do you think boxing's changed? Like, is it still the same sport as it was, you know, in the 60s, 70s, the 90s, you know, the Tysons, even Lennox Lewis? Well, I mean, look, it's entirely different financially. It's entirely different from the boxing. I mean, the, the key issue on sport generally, and boxing in particular, is that the talent has become much more important and has to be listened to. In other words, and this is certainly true of boxing, is fighters used to work for promoters. Today, without a question of doubt, mm. promoters work for fighters. So this is a massive swing. And alongside that swing, and probably partially responsible for it, is with the commercialization has changed with pay-per-view. You know, in the old days when you'd sign a mm. fighter up on a 10-fight deal, uh, they're gone. They're gone. And quite rightly, too. I mean, yeah, I think, I, you know, I'm criticised this myself. I think I, I didn't do it right when I was younger. You know, in, in the boxing world, we, we worked in a market that was a different market. Today's highly competitive. The fighters are the governors. Uh, we don't make a decision about an Anthony Joshua fight unless Anthony Joshua says that's okay. But... That's how it should be. And yeah. That's how it always should have been. Yeah. But you can't turn the clock back 20 years. So where it's really changed is the stories, I mean, they've got much better advice now. You know, you, there's more lawyers. I mean, I always criticise lawyers and accountants, and I'm one of them. But they do add that safety valve, to, particularly in the fight game, which sure. is a very dangerous game, to make sure that at least these guys are getting properly paid because – that's the only way you can actually justify boxing taking place. It's not the thrill of the fight is great if you're an amateur, but if you're a professional, you do it to make a living. And our job is to maximise those revenues for our client, and that's where it's changed. The client-boxer relationship from the days of going back to Mickey Duff and Jarvis is there, Harry Solomon's. These it's entirely, completely different. I mean. If, you know, stories that you, you must know about where people would turn up at the arena not even knowing who they were fighting on the same day, not even knowing how much they were going to get. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. not even getting it. You know, uh, I mean, today it's it's a proper business, and and I welcome that. I think it's I think I hope we've helped to to bring that about, and I know that Eddie is very much in favour of the attitude that the fighters are the bosses. And this has happened in a lot of sport, you know. It could be true of cricket, tennis. The trouble is with sport is there's an awful lot of what I call blazers around that love their sport in various sports. They're passionate about their sport, but not necessarily passionate about the talent that participates. And their responsibility is actually to anyone who dedicates their life and makes a difference and, and also entertains us at a level that we haven't been entertained before. 
they deserve paying. Um, you know, though it's people say, oh, sport's too much about money. Look, go away, go away. It's, it's, it's still about winning. It's still about what's in your heart. But of course it's about money, you morons. You know, you, you've got to get it. <laughs> These kids are coming from places that, and they're doing things that we normal we humans can't do. We mere mortals and they should be paid. So that's the big change in sport. And it's one I think is, is actually been a good change and hopefully can benefit generations of future sportsmen and women. Do you think, um, though, the mythical nature of the fighters have changed in the sense like, you know, Muhammad Ali, Lewis, Foreman and all that, they could have walked down the street. And nowadays, obviously, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, they're so recognisable, but the rest of the heavyweight division, you know, that's not the case. No, Do you think so that, sure that, that side sure. of so boxing sure has changed? It just, it goes round. It goes round. You'll have, you'll have periods in sport where there's no real big personalities, what we call personalities. Uh, right. And then you'll have other periods where are. I mean, I think you're slightly wrong on the heavyweights. I think yeah. Dylan White could walk down the street and get recognised. You know, I think perhaps Joseph Barker, Alexander Ruti. I mean, there's only room for a certain number of stars because there's only a certain number of people you can talk about, you know. But the depth, the depth is important and, and that comes through how many TV mm. shows, how many platforms. Have you, built, have you built a sportsman? You know, we build them by personality enhancement, by social media, by getting you to know something more about right. them rather than just what they do in their school. There's a whole art form to how you make someone famous yeah. uh, and, and, and someone like Logan Paul What's that? Has, has conquered that. Yeah, no, What's sure. the art form to make someone famous, Barry? Work, work, work every second. Make them, give them an angle. Make sure they're seen. Good make on. sure they're heard. Make sure they're listened to. Give them the platform. Build the platform. Bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. No sleep. No sleep. Another program. Another, another blog. Another... And you know what? Eventually. <laughs> Goodness me. Don't we live in a weird world? People with zero ability become hugely wealthy. But let's not talk about the Carter Shanson. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Yeah, it is. It is. But if you want to make money, being famous is more important yeah. than being good. That's, that's, a, that's a horrible... That's, that's not a good sign, by the way, for the long term. That's. I'll tell you what, that's... Yeah. It's true. It's, I'm, in that thing, I'm a bit of an anorak as well because I spent time on my craft. Do you know what I mean? And now you can just be famous and people don't really care about the craft anymore. Do you know what I mean? You feel that way. I'm, I'm, I'm an anorak. Feel. Well, you think you're a chief, but I've got to ask a question now about, about what you... I think I know the answer, but I'd love to hear it. Of all the sports, and it's hard to say you love them all, right? You love the business of sports promotion. I'm guessing it's it's boxing or snooker, but like... What what one gives you the greatest thrill? And it's not. I bet it's not always about money. Um, obviously, boxing's got the biggest money by a long way. But what's the favourite for you? I mean, you're right. I, I only do things I'm passionate about. I mean, that's my luxury in life. You know, I mean, we, we yeah. all have nice cars and nice houses, but my luxury is what I do in my time. So, I, I mean, I love the fishing. <laughs> I mean, I love, it's crazy, but yeah, I look back on it. Obviously, snooker's got a big place in my heart because of 81 and Davis and what's happened with that. You know, Phil Taylor, I managed for 12 years and, you know, just the greatest darts player I've ever seen. Boxing just provides that extra energy on a, on a, on a one-night basis, if you like, or one-moment basis. You know, snooker grows yeah. over 17 days in a crucible. Unbelievable atmosphere. But boxing... You know, you're sitting there watching AJ versus Klitschko, and I can't tell you the roller coaster ride. <laughs> Emotionally, it's like, 
I know my boxing, you know. I said to Eddie, Klitschko shot, this is not really much of a fight. Next thing, AJ knocked him down. I told you so, son. I know all about boxing. Next thing, AJ <laughs> goes down. I turned around to Eddie and said, have you, have you, have you got the rematch clause? He went, yes. I said, thank Christ for that. And then, you know, Klitschko doesn't <laughs> push the home his advantage. Uh, AJ gets his breath back and dispatches him in brutal fashion. Yeah, I can't really compare that type of night to too many others, you know. Truth is, boxing is truly universal. Yeah. Right? Like, we can't really say that for even though I love darts, play darts myself, love snooker. No, but it's a different yeah. thing. It, like, what thinking about what a boxer has to do, they're a warrior well, on their own, in that ring. So I was going to say the like, same it's thing. A whole I was going to say, thing. truly global, and that adrenaline, the fact that it's a fight, you know, versus, you know, pushing some balls around the, you know, around the cushions. And yeah. don't get me wrong, I'm a massive pool guy, snooker guy, I love it. But I feel like, d- d- does that add to the, you know, to the, to the excitement? The, the, you know, the fact but that Martin, we're, we're going to see a gladiator sport. Martin, you're, uh, you're getting like an yeah. anorak. You know, you've got to be careful, boy. You've got to be careful. <laughs> you see, boxing's not that big. This is the thing about it. Boxing, for the for what goes into boxing and how much excitement it produces, it's not that big. There is a huge amount of growth in boxing. If you want to start talking about numbers, you know, boxing doesn't hit anywhere near the numbers of World Snooker Championships in terms of viewers. It's nowhere near Formula One. It's nowhere what? near... Well, that's co- surprising. It's, yeah, yeah. Because, it, because, it, because it's so intense and because it does occasionally produce mega fights, the average world of boxing has got an unbelievable amount of growth left in it in terms of potential subscribers and followers and fans. It hasn't even started, you know. I mean, right. boxing could only dream on Sky of hitting... It could only dream of hitting darts numbers. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, I mean... Wow. You think, you know, this is a really good point. The overweight guys throwing a dart, and these blokes are trained all their life, and they're putting their life on the wrist... That doesn't mean anything. It means the way it's promoted, the way it's projected, and the way it's invested in. And that's when we at Matchroom look at sports. We love boxing, the same as you, Martin, the same as you, Jack. We love it. We love the play. We love the fires. We love the atmosphere it creates. But we're also businessmen, and we realise there's a massive opportunity in boxing because it's lost its way over the years, and it isn't the global powerhouse it was. Now, that perhaps Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury will develop into a Muhammad Ali, we'll wait and see. The world is a changed place. But what I'm saying is with the, the birth of UFC, with the other martial arts events, it shows you boxing has lost its way. I'm it, and I'm partly responsible, mm. so I hold my hands up. We've lost its way. It's coming back now because it's got a mastermind at the helm. And the fact that he happens to be my son, is not me being biased, I'm in awe of what him and his team do. And the team is a big team. I mean, they've got big offices in New York with loads of very clever people. They've got places in Italy. They've got, you know, they're spreading all over the world because they're, they realise this is an opportunity. So we can't even compare boxing as a global sport with any other sport because it's miles and miles behind. But I don't see that as a negative. I see that as a positive because it means we've got fantastic growth ahead of us. I, get, I totally get your point now. Um, I'm thinking that everyone can relate to it, but at the end of the day, it's supply and demand. At the end of the day, if you don't have a lot of great boxers in the stables and you can't put on enough events, they, it's like the Oscars competing with 
the premiership. It's a one night of fucking event. And that's, that, yeah. the, that's the challenge is it comes and goes. So what do you do about finding the Canelos and these other boxers? Well, you need, you need local heroes built into international stars. That's a good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the essence of it. And that's why Eddie's on his, on his way to do it. Now, I know you must be proud to hand over the reins to your son, Eddie, and to see him do such good. a good, go- good job. And uh, some would say he's got uh, more of a gift of gab than you have. Um, but, you know, talk- I'm a new father myself, yeah? And yeah. you guys have obviously have a great relationship and I've heard you describe him as a project, like you've built him into the what he is and then he adds that stardust on top. What, as a father, how did you go about doing that? Was just that something that happened naturally or, you know, what? how did you go about doing it, man? That's a dream for a lot of dads. Uh, it, it does happen naturally. I mean, obviously, yeah, but you, you lead by example, don't you? I mean, that's what parenthood is. You try to install certain principles in them, but then at the end of the day, it's up to the kid himself what's what's inside him. You know, you may want your child to follow different, you know, Eddie was never influenced to follow my career. It's something that he generally wanted, but he'd grown up in that atmosphere and, and he wanted more. So we can influence, but at the end of the day, it's, it's that's why we're all unique people because it's in their own genes, how they're going to react to certain situations. Who knows, you know? Yeah. You just got the added bonus, Barry, that is going to continue on your legacy, right? You know, because you've come from the same thing, you build it up, and that that must be a really wonderful thing. I mean, because the kids, you do your best, and you let them do what they want to do, right? Martin, it's great, because when when I die, it's not like I'm dying. When I die, it's not like I'm dying, you know, because (laughs) your children live on, don't they? And if they they represent you in in a bizarre way, you're still there, aren't you? I mean, isn't oh, that great? Sure, no, you've Very. done it, Barry. You've nailed yeah. it. Forget yeah. the OBE. You nailed life. <laughs> you did it, bro. <laughs> All right, dude, what's your thought for the day? It's a little lighthearted, but I was thinking to myself, I'm really lucky I've got the job that I've always wanted to do, but I've always wanted to do other jobs. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking, why do I want so many jobs? And then it got me to think, how lucky am I? What was the worst job I wouldn't want to do? And how fortunate I am to be born you know, in a country, in a place where there was opportunity and I was able to do something with my life. So the question I've got for you, and I'll answer it, is what's the job you always wanted to do that perhaps you you, know, you haven't had a chance yet to do because you're yeah. still young, right, versus the worst job you don't want to do? Ooh. I've always wanted to be a detective. Oh. Yeah. Oh, like, you oh know. non-capitalist. I love that. Yeah, I wanted to a like... A service provider. It was basically after I watched... Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yeah. Oh, now it comes. With Eddie all, Murphy. All the romanticism, I a, yeah. I wanted to become a detective. It was then. the Axel F music. I knew you were going to say that. Stop there. <laughs> and then the worst job in the world. Ooh. I think... I think one of the hardest jobs you could do... I don't think I could... I don't like management. Yeah. And yet you're a, and yet you're a CEO now and you're a manager now. No, but I'm talking about like people that manage talent. I actually think that's a really hard job. Oh, okay. So agency management. Agency gotcha. management. Like, okay. Reason being, it's kind of thankless. You get all the insults. Yeah. You take all the hits. Yeah. And you kind of and you're selling someone else's talent so they get all the praise. Mm-hmm. And you're you're just kind of brokering and you it's you're kind of always on the line. Yeah. Like I think that's a hard job, man. Oh yeah, I would, I would, I'd find that very stressful. No, I'm with you. No, yeah. I mean, obviously, we just spoke to one of the biggest 
managers in the world, Barry, and he's done a good job out of it. But he's a star himself, obviously, the way he chats. Yeah, but we all want to go through the gates of heaven, right? Yeah. I mean, when you're at that level, it's fine, right? Everything looks yeah, great. Yeah. Shall I tell you, the job I always wanted God. that I never got to do was I wanted to um, go to space. Ooh, and, and that's a, te- that's a tempestuous be, path. After I watched the... Uh, what was that that movie that came out recently was it about the first flight on moon when the the, the moon landing the moon landing yeah and oh. then the, when they experimented with the first liftoff and he died in the cockpit oh yeah that's yeah. scary dude no I, so, so well, i mean surviving on impact surviving on takeoff but i always thought um you're leaving this planet um obviously i want to come back but the, uh, you know i don't want to go and live on fucking mars but i want to be an astronaut the worst job i yeah. ever wanted to do was anything that made me feel like a groundhog Right, so I didn't want repetitiveness. Yeah, so I don't like the idea of being a postman, and nothing to take away from. I like the postman job. Let me let me tell you this. So so the idea of just not having to think. Oh, it's number twenty six Smith Street. Oh fuck! Oh, I know that person. They won't be in. I'll drop that off, and then you'd think, sod it. I'll just toss the paper on the floor or whatever. I just think it's so. I, I think I'd go insane. However, when I become a little, uh, you know, forget my memory, a little older, or I just want to chill out. The job that I didn't want to do becomes the job where I'm thinking, I just want to get some exercise and I get to see familiar faces. I get to smile. I don't have to think because I think a lot and my brain is getting tired and it will be like that until I die. So I hope in that moment I get a chance to do something that I can consider monotonous and sexy at the same time. And that's a postman. I think you're actually doing the postman a disservice. I just gave him praise, mate. When you meet a good postman that gives a shit, you feel the difference. Eddie Murphy sweeping the floors. What mopping the floors coming to America <laughs> takes pride in his job. There it is, bruv. Yeah. Come on, man. That's true. Yeah. I, I just think that, that, that the people that do it, if you do it for the right reasons, it's all how you and look at it, you right? you can start at 6 a.m. and you're clocking yeah. off by 2. You get well, the well, I, I, love the, I love the hours. Yeah. I don't like clocking in. I'm my own boss. But I like, yeah, I don't mind if you, yeah, you, you got to make money and you're working with someone else. But, but I made a very subtle point. Go on. Really subtle point. And that's that I ain't knocking it. I'm just saying I can't. I don't. I need to think, mm. but the minute I stop thinking, I want that job. It's a very interesting way to look at it. You're like a walking oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs>